a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars and we'll find somewhere close with hello and welcome to the cool room uh, i'm one of your hosts david griffiths it's my pleasure to be introducing you tonight to some new friends from beer farm from western australia so get yourselves comfy and make sure that you have the right beers ready to go as we have another one of our famous online meet the brewers sessions um we're going to be discussing four beers tonight so whether you're joining us in the zoom room or listening on the podcast you will need to have with you the assam boy ghosts the ipl the hazy and the native series i think number seven i don't have the can in front of me at the moment but i think that's the right number so yep. we're going to be talking about each of those beers. We don't suggest that you try and drink all of the beer that you have in your cans in front of you right now as we go through the podcast. Otherwise, you'll have drunk a lot of beer in a very short period of time. Uh, so if you're listening uh, in the Zoom room, we suggest you make yourself a little tasting paddle. And if you're listening on the podcast, well, then you can pause after each of the beers that we discuss and, uh, and enjoy your beer at a slow pace, and then when you're ready to start the next beer, click go again on the podcast. We'll make it pretty clear to you when we're moving from one beer to another so that you can drink responsibly and enjoy everything that we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, if you're not already following us on social media, we uh, suggest that you follow our Instagram and our Facebook, and that way you won't miss out on any of the future great uh, events that we're having. This time next Thursday, we're going to be sitting down with the gang from Mr Banks, and we've already got a great tasting pack from them lined up with eight fun beers. Uh, if you haven't already found our Shopify account, you can find that again linked from the Facebook and Instagram. And you can jump on there and buy the pack for next week or the pack from this week or a bonus pack from Weinstefan last week and many other things besides. So we thoroughly encourage you to do that and we can home deliver all of those beers for you. So that you can um, enjoy all of that while we talk about the beers. Um, Rightio, Travis, let's keep that nice and quick and short tonight. I'm gonna to throw over to you, brother. How are you? How are the ceiling windows on this fine Melbourne night? Uh, I, I, well, I see, I can't see the ceiling windows anymore, David. So we've relocated, rearranged the house and uh, they're no longer in existence where I'm sitting, so. It's a bloody travesty. It's, I know, it's, we're gonna to have to find something else to make as a theme of the podcast um i am well though uh i think that david was the quickest intro you've ever done so um for those in the zoom room let's all give david a clap um for being very quick. good brilliant uh tonight we are talking from the guys from beer farming wa uh welcome guys G'day. thanks for having us uh now Give us a, uh, before we sort of get onto the beer and start talking about the first beer we're tasting, which is the goes, give us an idea on where you guys are located and um, paint us a bit of a picture. Obviously, a lot of our listeners at the moment are in Victoria, so we don't get out much over here. Um, it, it's always Very good true. to get a vibe on what the rest of the country, uh, while you guys are still part of the country, are, are going through at the moment. Mate, it's, uh, it's a little piece of paradise out here. I'm currently looking over the rolling hills of the beer farm. We're in the car park at the moment, actually trying to get a bit of peace and quiet away from the canning line. But it's uh, right in the heart of Margaret River, basically a little town that's not really a town called Metricub. Uh, and Margaret River sits, you know, in between sort of Bustleton and Augusta, uh, about three hours south of Perth. But it's a uh, 
It's a beautiful little pocket. Lovely time of year as well, coming out of, uh, coming out of a pretty wet winter and into a nice little spring before it gets super busy for summer. But, I mean, any rural location, especially in the, uh, in the booze game and hospitality game at the moment in Western Australia, is, uh, seems to be heaving. Um, it's, uh, everyone's traveling locally and everyone was happy to get out after, the, uh, after lockdown and stuff like that. So it's, it's a little, uh, little pocket at the moment. Amazing. Um, when, when did the brewery start? When did you guys get your start and how did all that come about? We're coming up to our sixth birthday. Fifth? Uh, fifth? Fifth. fifth? <laughs> Are you sure about that? Yeah. December 2015. Got it. <laughs> so you guys before earlier. we started recording, obviously. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, coming up to the fifth birthday in December. So, yeah, in 2015 and we... Uh, yeah, that was that was current. That was the open of the uh, of the venue itself. So we were brewing beer here before that. We we're doing a bit of contract stuff, and we kept doing a bit of contract into the initial stages because we had some good capacity in the brew house. Um, now we're uh, we're very much just producing or attempting to produce uh, all of our own stuff, and just really trying to keep up with it as much as possible. Uh, um, where did you guys get your start in the beer world? What what? Sort of where was your start and then how did you sort of lead into the beer farm thing? Uh, so I, I, um, I started brewing about 10 years ago. Started a, a really small um, nano brewery in, in Yelling Up, which is probably about half an hour from where Beer Farm's situated now. Uh, and probably a little brewery that was ahead of its time back in the day was making a lot of beers with a lot of adjuncts and a, a lot of hazy beers that I suppose the market didn't really understand back then. Um, but I built a passion there and, and built a love for it there and um, eventually started making my way across Australia and working in a couple of other breweries um, between South Australia and New South Wales and on my return to WA Beer Farm was um, just kicking off and yeah it's kind of in the right place at the right time yeah met some cool cats like Ben and yeah jumped on board pretty quickly yeah I got I got I used to be a brewer as well I got my start in uh, in Sydney it was originally through construction I was um had the opportunity to do a fit out and uh, build furniture for a brewery set up in, in Sydney and in inner city Sydney. And that's where I lived and that's where I'm from and kind of just learned on the job after that. We needed staff and needed people to start making it, turned into a real production brewery. So I got my start there and then, and then moved over here with this opportunity. And oh, that's when I started to get into sales. I haven't really, well, I've never really been on the kit out here much. I could try and pretend that I do. <laughs> but uh, no, Josh is the man on the tools. He's the one that gets it done. And, uh, and yeah, I do the sales thing nowadays, which is, which is good. It's a great gig, really good industry, obviously. Nice. Um, we're going to start talking about the, the salted plum sour goes that we're sitting here drinking. Um, obviously, I'm not sure if you guys can see the, the comments coming through on the chat at the moment, but everyone's loving it. Um, the tagline at the bottom of this is a balanced sweet and sour beer. Um, let's start off on that give us the background of the beer how did this all come about so uh probably about two or three years ago uh benny and i made a trip over to um to kl and then uh to singapore on the way back which was um which was to represent beer farm at a um australian embassy event and uh it was uh smith street taps that we caught up with in in singapore mm. and um they were coming over a couple of months post that and we're really interested in doing a collaboration um and we threw a few ideas and um 
they kind of spat, spatball Assam Boy, and we were both not sure what they were 100% talking about. And when we got to the down to the fact that it was um, a salted plum, kind of knew exactly what they were talking about. I grew up in um, Northwest WA up in Broome, and salted plum or preserved plum was almost like a little sweet that we used to um, enjoy eating and sometimes used to get covered in, in toffee and stuff like that and it was really, really yummy. Um, kind of that sweet, salty, slightly tart characters. Mm. Um, and immediately we were just um, we were pretty keen to, to make a goza. Uh, so when they come over, it was, it was about getting um, some of those preserved plums. They've got, they've got a, a real rich bit of sweetness to them, um, but also quite salty. So adding them into a sour beer, we felt like we'd hit all of those elements um, to kind of give you that balanced sweet, sour and salt. And then uh, much to my disbelief, it became a bit of a beast. Um, oh, it was a total beast <laughs> straight off the bat. It, I mean, we, we see it as, from a sales perspective, we kind of see it as a bit of a gateway sour um, in today's market. We've been, I've been trying to push the sour train, you know, long before it was popular, probably when it was popular in Melbourne, but it was a bit of an uphill battle in WA and in New South Wales and pretty much everywhere else. Um, and this was a good little gateway one for us to get people to try that hadn't tried it before. Like if you threw something really, really tart and acidic at someone, um, you'll turn them off forever. But if you can give them a bit of a gateway sour, then you can introduce them to other sort of interesting fruited sours or, you know, the ones that kind of lead into, you know, more hardcore, you know, gozers and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just, I don't know, it really hit the mark for us. It was way too easy to sell. So we just, we wanted to keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very balanced and you've sort of hit the nail on the head uh, with this one. Um, has this, how long has this one been around for? Is this reasonably new or has it been around for a while? Uh, we did the first brew back in 2017, yeah. no, 2018, early 2018, maybe. Um, and the way we used to make it then was was pretty difficult. Um, plum seeds are pretty big, and we actually used to kind of stew it like a jam, um, and then add it into the fermenter um, once it had cooled down as like a secondary ferment. The problem with that is getting giant plum seeds out of um, your uh, bottom port on your your one and a half inch valves is incredibly hard. So the only way to kind of empty the tank out was to to drop the bottom off so i guess i was a bit hesitant to keep it going yeah. from that point but the um the sales guys were, were having some really big wins with it so you know sales don't lie so you kind of got to work around it now we now we add them into boil um in a nice basket and we've got a lot more consistency and um and it's a lot less uh headaches on yeah. the uh, production side yeah so that's an interesting thing like learning as you sort of go and and changing the sort of process i guess is is quite an interesting thing um how's how's it from a sales point like marketability of of this beer where do you outside of obviously wa in australia um where overseas does this sort of venture out to oh definitely singapore and malaysia uh thailand as well um we've we've only really focused in the southeast asian market overseas uh and we got some sort of good handshakes over there other than the sort of initial collaboration, which we sent over a bunch, it's been a pretty steady sort of sale over there, especially in Singapore. But it's also a really popular product for us in New South Wales. It was, it was the first, you know, it, it was probably our most popular groundbreaking product um, after we launched in New South Wales. It's, 
yeah, it, it does really well over there too. But locally, yeah, massive in the local market. And it's, you know, we, we see it really crucial be having having a, a sour beer as part of our core range now. It was, it was a bit of a, a battle to get it over the line initially, uh, other than the kind of difficulty of making it. But, <laughs> but um, you know, now that it's there, it's, uh, it, it's there to stay. What was the, the battle with getting it across the line? Well, you know, it's, when you look at a core range, I suppose like we, we've got a, a decent sized kit, but it, it's, I mean, your, your kit's never really big enough if you're <laughs> constantly growing and expanding. And the more SKUs you've got in your core range is the more fermentation space you need to be taking up consistently. Yep. Um, to try and have a core range of eight beers like we do at the moment uh, is a real struggle, you know, just, just in production planning. And if, you know, you throw a beer like the, the Royal Haze, for instance, or this one when it, when it came out in the mix and it starts it doesn't even initially cannibalize your, your other core range sales, like your other SKUs. It's just more you need to make. And, and, and it's, it's a hard act to juggle without running out of other, other core range SKUs. So it's just, uh, and it just needs to prove its worth in sale and popularity before you can, uh, before you can really know that you can lock it in. Yeah, that uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, we've got a question that's just come through from uh, one of our Zoom Room regulars, Max. He said, um, uh, did changing the plum addition from fermenter to boil affect the flavour very much? And uh, how do you, do you guys account for that? It, it, actually, it actually did, but um, in, a, in a positive way. Um, I guess the issue we had when we we're adding it into fermenter all of us um, taking different turns at uh, stewing and pasteurizing the plums. I guess we worked out that longer contact time we're getting sweeter or less sweeter results. Um, we're getting a lot of inconsistencies doing it that way. Now we add a controlled amount into boil um, every time. We're getting the same result every time in terms of balance and, um, and flavor. So it, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a positive change. Um, but initially we were, you know, were getting a lot of inconsistencies. So it was kind of just one of those brainwaves going, why don't we add them in a basket to boil? Um, and maybe the first one or two batches, we were a little bit um, light on the flavor. So we just increased the amount. And after that trial and error, we got to where we, we wanted to be. Great. And uh, great question, Max. And that sort of, you know, when you come to the Zoom room guys for the listeners afterwards, you get to sort of ask your questions uh, to the brewers directly um, rather than sitting at home, drinking the beers, listening to the podcast. Uh, we are going to welcome Mr. Warren Wu into the Zoom room. Hello all. How are you? Uh, and for all those listeners out there, he came in at 6.49 PM. So I'm not sure who won that, uh, but well done, whoever that was. Welcome Warren. Hello. Hello. You've, uh, you've missed the first beer, mate, but I'm sure we, uh, you can ask questions about, about it. Probably the ones we asked as well as the night wears on. So. Um, I'm not sure, Warren, if you've opened your beer yet, but um, we are coming to the end of the Goza. Um, it's super smashable. I could mm. another two or three of these and have a very It's definitely nice got a real tang about it, even though you guys say that it's sort of a, an entry-level Goza. I've really, you know, in a, in a nice way, it's certainly got the proper tang about it. It's not a... It's, it's the real deal. Yeah. yeah. Altered plums are, are kind of one of those things which, which go together too in a lot of ways. 
This is what happens when Warren joins us in the Zoom room, guys. A bit after we've spoken about the beer, he misses the points of what we've already talked about. No, no, I'm assuming you already spoke about it, but I think it's something that needs to be said again. Maybe. Well, thank you for doing so, Warren. We might encourage everyone else to move on to opening up their cans of the IPL and just make sure you have your glasses ready to go for that while Warren enjoys his gosa and catches up, drinking responsibly all the time, of course. And um, I guess I had the IPA before we started and now we're going to have a yarn about the IPL. And I, look, I love IPLs and my sort of very simple base original question for you guys is, why aren't more people making IPLs? It's a great style. Why do, you, why do you think there's more of them out there? I've been seeing a few in the market. Um, you know, we, we, we even tossed up what we were going to call this beer initially. It was, uh, there, was there was a few different, uh, few different chefs spoiling broths and, and uh, coming up with different ideas for, for what we should be calling it. Happy we stuck with the IPL, but there's another couple locally. And I see a, I see a couple in Sydney, in New South Wales. I think it's a, it's a kind of, it's a growing style. Um, I think you know some people tend to find it tough to differentiate it between a pilsner and an IPL. Um, and you know it's really just up to you what you want to call it. I, as you guys know, like a lot of the beer names, they kind of it's a bit of a much of a muchness sometimes. If you want to call it a, a you know like a strong ale or an XBA or I, I don't know, you know, like it's um, it's really just up to you. But it's definitely a, a really growing style and one that's always treated us really well. Sorry? Do you think the word lager scares people, particularly people trying to sell beer? And I guess that's, you know, the question for those of you that are not just trying to make it, but trying to sell it. Is it harder to sell a beer if it's got the word lager on the front label? I think it used to be. I mean, we've been, you know, hoping and predicting a bit of a, a change in that trend for quite a while. And you kind of, I mean, you see it happening a little bit more nowadays. The, you know, the, the, the pale ale days are kind of, you know, shifting and turning. And, and it's an obvious sort of direction to go from that. I don't think people should be worried about it. Yeah, it's a good one. Is, it, has to, it has to compete with those IPAs and those hazy IPAs that are pretty strong in the market at the moment. So I think that that may be why people aren't making as much of it. Is it a is it a proper lager? Like this is I'm I'm not trying to trip you up or anything, but but made as a lager and then and then the hops added. Is that the so it's made like a lager, but it's it's basically the hop the hop quantities and the dry hop is is that almost of an IPA. Cool. So you still got that clean, crisp, um, light malt base as, as you do with a lager, with a good amount of yeast character. But um, the hops are very much a star of the show as well. And Crofty in the room is asking the question about it's super clear. You know, what kind of filtration process do you use on it, if any? So we use a Bell um, DE filter, um, which gets beer pretty pretty bright. Uh, I think well, I don't think I've seen beer much brighter than that. Um, we are looking to, to get a centrifuge, which is a lot more efficient. Um, but I'm I think we'll probably still use a clarifying filter or a DE filter to get it to that brightness. Um, it is for me probably one of the most important things about having lager is having it nice, bright, and clean. When you when you see it served, what, what kind of glassware do you most like to sort of see it in? Is there a particular thing you care about and that's when you're displaying a beer that you put so much effort into the appearance of? I don't know. We, we actually haven't gone down the glassware route too hard on our end. Um, it'd be nice to see it in a tall pills glass or something like that, but 
we definitely don't discriminate. Uh, you know, maybe not, not a frosted glass, so you can see that it's uh, you can see how bright it is. But no, a clean glass, preferably. <laughs> It's a very fair answer. Um, so we've got three different hops in, in the beer, and um, we love a bit of a hop discussion. Um, Mosaic, which we've discussed a fair bit of late on the podcast with a number of different brewers, but we've also got Magnum and Sars in there. Sars, some people will know, some people perhaps don't. Could you break down a little bit, perhaps, in terms of what we're tasting uh, in the beer and which bits of it come from which of the hops? I'm surprised you haven't heard of SARS. Like it's such a classic. Oh, okay. Some people may have. Some people may have done the SARS. It's it is the original Pilsner hop from from Czechoslovakia. The uh, the classic SARS stuff. I mean, everyone's mosaics all the rage because it's you know brand new American hop. But it's uh, but the SARS is the is the classic element. Josh, you want to break it down? Yeah, I guess the the Magnum's actually a bittering hop that we use across all our beers. It's got a um, good cohumulone level, which makes it quite a nice soft bitterness, not too harsh and um, sticky on the tongue. Um, so that's there's quite a generous amount of that that's added in um, as first wort hops. But the, the flavour and the aroma is really coming from the SARS and the mosaic. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought with the mosaic, um, it, was, it was obviously one of the key uh, components to making this a really nice, fruity IPL. But I guess to, to bring it back to that lager um, slash pilsner character is really to add the grassiness, grassiness and herbal and earthy characters of the SARS. Um, it really does help balance that, that mosaic out. And I guess we're also not for overcomplicating things. So just a blend of those two hops seemed, seemed appropriate. Hmm. And classic as well. Like from a growing hops perspective, we actually grow a little bit of hops off site uh, over here in, in the southwest as well, and we grow some SARS. It's one of the uh, non-proprietary um, hops that you, that you can get your hands on over in WA or, or New South Wales or Victoria, anywhere in Australia, if you're interested in giving it a crack. It's a really delicate little flower, um, you know, compared to your sort of Cascades and Chinooks and stuff, which you can also get. It's uh, it's more of a classic, delicate sort of style hop, which is, you know, great for experimenting with on your first beers and stuff like that if you're doing some homebrew or or just interested in agriculture. Um, we're all about it here at the beer farm, obviously, but it's, um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. So how closely do you guys sort of work with the people out in the fields? You know, are you out there yourselves every day? Can you? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, the, we, we run about 60 head of Angus here on the farm um, that we use in our food offering here in, in our restaurant and menu, the, um, which is pretty big, big venue nowadays. It's mm. always... A, school holidays at the moment so it's absolutely heaving but uh we we, we grain out and uh, take that grain straight out to the cattle uh on our tractor which is you know you can see from the brew house the uh the paddocks where all the cattle live um and yeah so we, we take it straight out there feeding the cattle is probably the most agricultural element that the that the brew staff get into at the moment that that and composting uh composting all of our trub um and uh you know protein yeast sort of waste from the uh from the brew but uh, yeah, we, we absolutely do a lot of that stuff on site and a bit of veggie production as well. And what sort of a yield are you getting from the hops? Like, is it enough to do a, a whole batch? And are you doing that with sort of special one-off yeah. batches or? We were actually talking about this yesterday, what our sort of strategy is for later in the year. So you'll have to watch this space for uh, you know <laughs> mid, mid-summer mid next year. We should be look, keeping an eye out for a bit of a uh, wet hop harvest sort of beer. We'll, 
you know, it's really up to Joshy and the boys what and girls what they uh, what they might want to do with uh, with that one. You know, come the time, it depends on you know what we've done recently and what you know what's new and interesting in the market. But Josh was actually over with Yakima Chief a little while ago doing some harvest stuff with them, and the wet hop thing over there is massive. You know, so it'd be really cool and fun to do something like that here with some really fresh hops that, that we've grown down south. Absolutely. It's a, it's a style you don't see a lot of in Australia at the moment, probably for fairly obvious reasons that just the logistics of it make it pretty tricky under normal circumstances, I guess. Mm. Um, look, we love sort of a good nerdy discussion about marketing and things like that here as well. And so I guess I was interested to sort of hear a bit about how your approach to the Victorian market is. And I guess you already touched on it a little bit when you were talking about the ghost as a style that, you know, you considered to be established in Victoria compared to WA, but what's it like to try and figure out what views are going to work in a market when you come in? We've had about the most uh, difficult approach to the Victoria market, I'd say. Timing is everything. With our, with our sales rep, we, we just took on a sales rep. It's his uh, first time in sales. Moved over from WA to Victoria and, um, and uh, it was his first week on the job and I was over there with him. We had a bunch of appointments and lined everything up to hit the ground running. Uh, and that was basically the week that coronavirus started and, and uh, took hold. And um, you know, by the sort of, by the Wednesday, we, most of our appointments were canceled. By the Thursday, it was you know pretty offensive to be going into places, even cold calling them or, or whatever. And, and by the Friday, it was basically game over. And he, he's obviously had a you know pretty rough trot since. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's stuck it out, you know. Kudos to you, Owen, you're doing a stellar job, mate. And, and he's going uh, to make this happen tonight, so kudos on that front as well. We wouldn't yes, be able to agree where he's good work. But, yeah, really, that, that strategy for us, I mean, and what, you know, we've learned and would want to, you know, replicate there is, is going to the market with our more limited release, interesting sort of beers, uh, you know, approaching the really crafty sort of joints and trying to get them in people's faces and getting people behind it. Um, you know, once you get your foot in the door there as an interesting product, then it's easier to kind of, you know, you, you become more of a recognised name and it's easier to start selling the core range. Um, either one's a win. We, we don't, you know, differentiate or preference. Uh, what, you know, we, we obviously just have a lot more of our core range than we do of our limited release stuff. So we can't, you know, facilitate consistent supply of our limited release stuff. But it's uh, it's a good little foot in the door. You know, people, people get interested and then, you know, you follow up with the core range and hopefully they enjoy that as well. I mean, it's probably a bit early to tell yet, but do you think there's some styles that'll work better in Victoria than, than perhaps other markets that you're in? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, off the bat, IPA, IPL um, does well. Uh, the, the Assam as well. Uh, Hayes is is going well, but, you know, it's, it's probably, you know, one of the most, if not the most competitive hazy market in the country. Yeah. Uh, people get, uh, they love the Jedi juice and stuff and they, they want to stick with the hazes they know. Great. I think it'll take us becoming more of a recognised name for us to, to crack that one. But really, you know, with, with things like the Native Series in a, in a place where people are so culturally aware as, as Melbourne, it's, um, that's, the, that's our best foot forward, I think. Uh, I, think you're, I think you're pretty astute there. And um, we're going to talk a bit more when we get to the Native Series one, but just in terms of the can art and the presentation as well, you know, how, how much does that make a difference? You know, the guys are doing the work in the brewery and then when you've got to go out and actually sell it on the road, do you think that makes a big difference to sort of how people perceive the product? I mean, 
obviously absolutely as yeah. as a bit of a show and tell that that peeling back label and if anyone's had a chance to see the video um you can check out on our website which uh, which goes with it it's um i mean it makes your job maybe a bit too easy actually it's, it's, a, it's a big story to tell yeah uh, that is. one so but it's uh no it's, it's really really good and and it, and it and it adds a real element of genuinity to, to what it is that we're producing and yeah gotta love it Absolutely. We might give people a little moment to sort of just recharge their glasses and make sure that they have the next couple of beers that they're going to need to have ready to go, ready to go. Uh, so that is, folks, the Hazy and the Native series. Hazies, they they are they're a, they're a thing, they're a huge thing. Uh, were they a thing on the brew team's kind of agenda, or has the market kind of pushed it as a thing? It was. Uh, I mean, I I take some responsibility personally for it not being a thing for us earlier. I I, I kind of saw it as a bit of a fad personally, mm. and and I'm, I don't know. I'm sure I'm not alone, but I. I didn't give it enough of a chance, uh, you know, just so much about presentation and, and the style itself. I think I was just being a bit stubborn and, and, you know, probably steering Josh or the other guys away from it a little bit. But, but uh, once it really came around and we realized it was here to stay, we did a collab another collaboration beer with, um, with a venue in Sydney, the Royal Albert Hotel, and uh, they're good mates of ours. And, and it was just such a hit. We, um, we really... We, we could have not keep making it, much like the Assam. Um, and and I, you know, I've done a full 180 on the hazies. I drink a lot of that stuff. And I really enjoy it. Um, I was just at a beer festival in Perth on the weekend. And I was pretty much just sampling only hazies from from the cream of the crop of, uh, of WA around there. But, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. it. And the market does really dig it. I mean, Biggie Juice over here paved the way for a lot of breweries. But, uh, but. I mean, most, most people have got a great one out nowadays and they're just such a drinkable beer. I mean, you, you find, if you do manage to snag a tap for it in a venue that might not have been hazy before, the volume that that tap can command compared to, you know, something uh, a bit harder to get down, whether that's like a standard IPA or something, then, uh, yeah, it changes your mind pretty quick. Sorry, I kind of zoned out after you said you were at a beer festival in Perth. I was thinking um, the same thing. Like I completely, <laughs> I completely blanked after I heard those words. I don't what's know a, why. What's a beer festival? <laughs> what, what, what do you do oh, in this buggers. magical beer festival? I didn't mean to rub it in, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, so <laughs> the, the, once once you've once you've kind of been turned around and and hazies or a thing, and you know I'm. To, to throw fuel on this argument, maybe they're not here to stay. Maybe they are still a fad. I think they're probably here to stay, but you know, there's still the small likelihood. But going back to the question, if if so, what makes yours different from the the ocean of of hazies out there? The, the biggest element was trying to make it a bit more approachable ABV wise, uh, without sacrificing in flavour and body. Uh, we wanted to make it under six. We didn't initially, I think it was what, 6.3, the first one? We did, yeah, we did a batch at 6.5 and then we did the second batch at 5.5. 5. 
Um, and then we kind of, yeah, aimed for somewhere in between. We landed at 5.8 and it seems to have ticked all the boxes. I find it a bit of a dangerous like area, the 5.8, anywhere between 5.5 five and, and 6, because you, you've, in your head you're thinking, oh, okay, this isn't like super strong. But because of the speed that you drink those those hazy sometimes, right? Just me personally, it's a, it can be a bit of a highway to the danger zone. You got you got to watch it. Yeah, it's it's definitely it definitely has that juiciness to it. There's enough of a little uh, lick of bitterness, which which still reminds you that it's it's a beer, but it's got yeah, definitely juicy and smashable, and dangerous. Um, do you think hazy? Going back to I'm back to it again. Do you think hazies will slack off? Is this something you guys will probably grow and do do variations of and trying to and try to chase that a little bit, or is it something you guys are happy just to stick with, you know, the 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 royal hazy and leave it for the most part? I think the um uh, no, I don't I don't think it, it, the trend will, will slacken off. I think um I really <laughs> I really enjoy the style, and I think um they are quite drinkable. Uh, which does make them dangerous. But I think, yeah, for us now that we've got the Royal Haze base really um, down and we're not we're not really making any adjustments to it at all, we're really happy with it. We are going to start venturing out a bit. We've actually just done a collaboration of, of, a, um, of a bigger hazy um, with a slightly different hop profile. But it is up around that 8% mark. Um, and I think that, yeah, there'll be many more variations to come. We did a, we did a variation last year, um, almost, almost a very similar recipe um but we actually fermented um a bunch of grapefruit juice um with brettanomyces for a few weeks before pasteurizing it and adding it to the beer and it was um yeah it was that was almost a platform for the raw haze in the end um last year but it was um worked out really well so i think um if we've got time we'll we'll definitely be be keeping the uh, haze train rolling yeah it's it's so much about up to the people that we collaborate with as well it's such a um it's such a you know, necessary thing to do in the craft beer game. You know, you work with a lot of fantastic venues or businesses or anything really, and, and people want to collaborate with you when when they enjoy your product. And if a product like that uh, that's that's so popular, uh, it, it definitely gets recommended from from their end a lot of the time. So, yeah, whatever kind of variance we can think of, I mean, if it's a, if it's a good one, give it a crack. Um. I was just going to say, what else? Uh, have you got anything else on the radar? How has this, how has COVID affected it in that, in that sense? Uh, have you got any, any hot leads that we should be looking out for? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that one that Josh just mentioned, the big hazy, uh, that'll be out late this month in WA. I think we'll, well, we'll definitely send over some stock over to Desert and, yeah, and New South Wales. It'll be, it should be over there uh, early November. And uh, definitely a good one to keep your eye up, eye up for. Other than that, the native series we just oh, we just got through. The, the mm. long, not long after that, we actually are making the um, the Brett grapefruit Nipper again. Um, we actually had that grapefruit process today, and we're going to um, start fermenting that with Brett. So look out for that one. That one will be back out again. And um, we only made one batch of it last year, so we're um, increasing the volume a bit. So. Be able to spread that around nationally. Yeah, that was yep. mighty easy. So you put the word Britannomyces and, and uh, New England IPA together and grapefruit. You know, you got a bit of a trifecta there of interest, and um, yeah, it's definitely not a hard one to move. Yeah, that sounds nuts. Just for our our all the all the brew geeks in the uh, that listen to us, how 
how do you apply Britannomyces infected grapefruit? Like, yeah, I'm just trying to get my head around it. Well, how, yeah, what's the so, process? In- so we, we inoculate um, the grapefruit juice by itself with Britannomyces, um, and sure. then also the cultures on the fruit um, that are kind of growing. Britannomyces does take a lot, um, a lot of time to kind of develop, um, especially from a flavour profile. So for, for balance, we try to, to keep that time to a minimum, make sure we're just kind of getting those stone fruit um, qualities from it, not too much of that taut, tart horse stable, which is a compliment of Brettanomyces. I'm still trying to get around that one. I love delicious horse blankets. Horse blanket. Yeah, yeah or one. saddle. Um, saddle yeah. one. Yeah, but um, what we actually do with all the fruit that we add to our beers is pasteurise it. Um, so we'll heat it up uh, to a temperature that kills all the bacteria. Um, we'll then obviously keep it sterile and um, rest it in a sterile vessel um, until it's cooled down. And then we add it into the beer as secondary fermentation. So um, the live bacteria has actually been um, denatured or, or killed. Mm. So it doesn't affect the product um, overly too much um, from a stability point of view. Yes. Uh, yeah. Especially if you're packaging and stuff, it can, you know, it can be um, a real headache and, and you know, wanting to send products interstate. You know, we, we do cold train transport and storage, but once you get it to a a vendor um, wherever that is it's really up to them how they treat it and you know if you're using you know things like bread which are super virile you want to have complete confidence that those cans aren't going to be exploding on shelves or in people's houses or whatever so it's um, yeah, you've, got to, you've got to be pretty staunch with it and have an excellent cleaning regime sure um we've we in in brett discussions in the past we've talked about strains is that part of what you guys have done too? Did you pick a particular strain? Is it something you guys will experiment with more? We actually picked a house strain that actually come from our barrels. Oh yeah, um, great. It's a barrel-aged Berliner Weiss, yeah. So that's what yeah. we inoculated it with this year and uh, we're hoping to do the same with the same culture this year. All right, yeah, so uh, I'm gonna throw in our, our traditional cool room question. I still haven't quite figured out how to ask this question, but I'm going to just shut it off. 65, 66 episodes in and no one ever has. So that's no, no, it just doesn't go out particularly well. All right. So, so essentially this is a question about, it's a, it's a question about cool rooms, but the greater hospitality experience, I suppose. So whether or not it's in the, in the dry store or in the middle of your pub, it doesn't really matter, but what's the strangest, weirdest, most amusing or confronting thing you've seen in a cool room? Well, I've, had some, I've had some fantastic and terrible experiences in cool rooms in the past, but, but one that really springs to mind, I was, uh, I was a young man working one of my first bar jobs at a venue that will remain nameless in uh, inner city Sydney in, uh, in the inner west. And, uh, I remember walking into a cool room doing a bit of a restock. I, was, uh, I wasn't a big man on campus. I was just standing a little rouse about on the bar. I strolled into a corner and realised there was a lot of uh, Bacardi Breezer stock, which had become, uh, you know, depleted. And, you know, we, we didn't sell that much of that stuff. It was really during the Smirnoff Black era, which was, that was far more popular than the Breezers. <laughs> and I looked into the corner and there was just this heartbreaking mountain of 
you know, of raspberry breezes and empty straws. And I realized that I hadn't been invited to the straw pedos in the corner for the past <laughs> X amount of time. Whoever the staff were around me, I, I never knew. I have, I have suspicious, you know, I have, I have suspect ideas of who it was, but I've been straw pedoed many times behind my back and never invited to join in. <laughs> and you know, this was a kind of joint, mate. You really needed straw pedos to get through the night. It was not a, it was, it was a fabulous work environment. And there was little Ben, you know, tearing up in the cool room. Dreaming <laughs> I, how much I really want to know what the venue is. No, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> And uh, mate, you, you could you could imagine, you know, and obviously it didn't work in the craft beer scene at the time. I, I'd I'd take my Bacardi breezes like the next guy, man. I'm, I'm not saying no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a sad moment. Sad moment. Yeah, it's yeah, not not quite. You you think you won the team, but obviously no. Nope. Nah. Just some oh, you know, a phrase that everyone else uses and I'm just old and naive and never heard before or I've never heard of a straw pedo before in my life. Are you like you, you, you stick a straw in your in a bottle and then it makes it, you know, the the dispersion of the air as you suck down the liquid. Mm. It, it, it's like doing a shotgun essentially, you know, like it's uh it just makes it quicker to skull. I was just thinking there's a there's a whole bunch of people in the core room right now that are googling straw pedo to see what it's all about. Mate, get on it. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon I might pass on that one, you know. <laughs> Why would you Mate, straw pedo in modern times? I actually think if uh, anyone out there that's listening and in the Zoom room tonight, if you actually Google it, I think the first thing that comes up is a YouTube video of someone actually doing it. So check it out. Super. It's, it's probably Ben. <laughs> By himself, just just yeah. fetal position. Topping it up with my tears as it goes down. <laughs> How about you, Josh? Is there any particular sort of moment you've had along the way where you know something notably terrible happened? Uh, potentially, but I don't think I can top that story. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, nothing from me. <laughs> there, there's something about a story about you kind of n- realizing your place in the world, which is really hard to top. It's like the you, the everyone's been the last guy to come off the bench, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. awesome. <laughs> and the use of straw pedos, and the Smirnoff Black era. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they still do they even still sell those things? It's I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Yeah, it was a kind of it was a kind of classy establishment where the smell off blacks like getting them wasn't enough. They were super expensive as well, like over the bar. Getting them wasn't enough, so they get smell off black with some of that red shit in it, which meant like you put a bit of granite in there. <laughs> Somehow that's supposed to make it better. But like if you didn't have the red shit in there, no, they weren't having a bar of it. It was uh, needed the red stuff and uh, yeah, that, that made smell off blacks better somehow. <laughs> I'm I'm kinda you know I'm kinda glad I was more of the generation like like we went like for us honky tonks was the thing. And it was rave juice, where they'd fill a a 
plastic bag, like it wasn't even a Ziploc bag, it was a freezer bag, with ice, dump a Red Bull, some some blue grenadier, uh, some blue curacao and vodka in there with a glow stick. And that was rave juice. <laughs> so you'd walk around the dance. What the fuck? <laughs> It was the most awesome thing ever. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the genius of that? Like going to a a, a club, like a the most maddest club in the world, and everyone's walking around with a freezer bag full of ice, a glow stick, and this bright blue liquid. So yeah. Um, Warren, Warren, you've just made me feel better about a conversation I had last night about hanging out at Frostbites on Chapel Street. <laughs> I feel like I'm a lot more good now. <laughs> you see, yeah, like I did that, but I always like that, that when I was standing there, that was the moment I realised I was on the wrong side of the river. Like I'm not a, I'm not a for, for a north side of the river person. I'm I just okay. Chapel I Street. We are, we're going to pull this back into alignment because we've gone <laughs> way way off track. Give me a second. People in Zoom for me. We are going to move on to the native guys. Um, but before we do, um, guys, can you tell us what the first craft beer you guys ever had was? Uh, for me. Oh, jeez. Actually, I think it might have been Lord Nelson Three Sheets. Oh, nice uh, one. In Sydney, yeah. And they've been, they've been around a long time. And I've been, uh, I've been working in craft beer for about 11 years. And yeah, I think, uh, I reckon it was Lord Nelson Three Sheets. Almost positive. It, I mean, unless you considered, you know, different beers, like different Belgian stuff from overseas or something, um, that would be definitely the first Aussie one I did. No, that's yeah, a really, that's cool. a winner. That's we've had Guinness well, as, a, as an I'd example. It's either Matilda Bay or uh, Little Creatures, to be honest. I, yeah. I can't actually remember what it was. I remember when I first started brewing, Fat Yak was a thing, and it was like the, the first beer I had that I knew, like where I learned about dry hopping, and that was G11 or 12 years ago, and I thought it was the most fascinating thing ever. Um, my viewpoint is a lot different these days, but, but I'm pretty sure it's Fat Yak. Yeah, there you go. It was a time that that was, you know, close enough to a craft beer to, you know, definitely fast muster. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, as we kind of mentioned a minute ago, we're going to move on to the Native Series very soon. So everyone in the Zoom room, grab your glasses and uh, get yourself sorted. I think we're all sort of hanging out for this. The 500 mil can. Um, let's do it. Has everyone opened up the label and had a bit of a, a read before, uh, before pouring her out? I'm just doing that now. What kind of glue do you use to make this work? I could not answer that one. Yeah, we ordered, yeah. We ordered it. I just, wanted, I just wanted to nerd things up for a second there, you know. I have to ask. Yeah, yeah. I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. Multicolor. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Now, we could, we could sit here all for the next sort of five minutes or so reading through all this, but um, I want you guys to give us the insight. Um, let's start off and discuss the, the can, I think, is a great place to start. Before we even try the beer, how did you come up with this idea to do the label like this? 
so I guess the the label we've only canned the native series. Well, this would be the fourth one, and the last one was was the first time we used the double label. And the the big idea behind the double label is is one thing we've always found with the native series has been really hard to to tell the story or really explain what the ingredients. Um, purpose, history, and also what the flavor characteristics were. So I guess the last one was kind of a good platform to tell that story. But, um, you know, as, as, it, as it's come along and this year, we really wanted to make sure we got a, you know, a, a bit of indigenous art on the outside of it. And Corrine, uh, Yaron, Bennell has done an absolute cracking job of the, the red eye wattle seed um, that we've put on that label. Uh, and it's, we were, we were a bit tight for time when we did manage to, to get that over the line in time to get on the label. And I think it's something we'll continue to do. I think it's all part of the story and um, and really paying homage to the beautiful country we live in. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you find, like, I mean, obviously you, you guys have told us about the label, so the listeners out there are going to know when they're drinking it. Do you find people are just picking up this can and not opening the label? How do you get that message across to to do the PL to get more it's, information. I'm, I'm sure that there's a load of people that, that don't do the PL. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a bit of an incentive that we threw in this time, we put a golden ticket behind uh, behind one of the labels, in between the two labels. Um, so make sure everyone's looking for that golden ticket, by the way. It'd be pretty sick if someone found one on the, uh, on the podcast today. But, how, uh, how many uh, golden tickets were there? There's just one. Two. And, two. and what, does that, what does that golden ticket get you? Get you a, a ticket to the, the Native Series dinner uh, that we're doing. Uh, it'd be the second dinner we're doing, and it's a collaboration with a um, with a, a group down here called Aramia, uh, who are a fully sustainable restaurant, um, as well as our own crew here at Burnt Ends at Beer Farm, as well as Yoda, who's the chef we work really close with from Favor, um on the Native Series. And uh, we, we did a, a Native Series dinner about two years ago um, and it was it was just as much of an experience as as much as a delicious um, evening for your flavor for your senses really. Um, so that's that's kind of the experience you get to. The food out here at the farm's to. already really exceptional, and working with you know great collaborators like those guys, they really turn it on. Eh? I mean, I, I should have explained earlier in the podcast with the beer farms basically. It's a big old dairy like a rabbit's dairy from the fifties that, that we've converted into a brewery. It's got a lot of you know, a lot of charm and a lot of, you know, rustic sort of beauty about it. It's kept a lot of those sort of old dairy features and, and it's a, you know, pretty decent capacity venue in its own right as well. Um, and, you know, we set up these big sort of dinners inside right around the, the open fire and, and our excavated bucket fireplace. And it just, yeah, it's a really, really good evening. So that is, that's the incentive. Uh, it would be, uh, it would be just a Victorian's luck that you send the beers over. We send them out in the tasting packs, and someone from our listener base <laughs> got the golden ticket and couldn't oh, go. Oh man, heartbreak. Whereas I'm more in that thing about you know the Charlie and the chocolate factory. You know that you know what is it? You know, sixty-six, seventy-two percent of the people who got the ticket ended up suffering some kind of bizarre death on the tour. And I'm just <laughs> I don't say that. <laughs> well, that's that's why I'm worried about. You know, I'm worried. You know. What kind That's of pretty fierce Angus beef around here? Yeah, <laughs> and they didn't die, did they? They only were oh, you know, mutilated a little bit. I reckon they died. I, I mean, don't think there's too much doubt about the fact that 
the Oompa Loompas weren't saying, and don't worry, they'll be, they'll, they've just arrived outside. It was, that wasn't, line wasn't in there. If someone uh, wins over there, hopefully you've got a bit of a, a friend or family you can donate it to over here. It'd be not to be missed. Just don't drink out of the river of beer. <laughs> <laughs> so could you tell us about the kind of flavours that we'll be getting out of this beer? We, you know, it's, um, you know, a, a really, obviously, different thing. We've got wattle seed in there for those people who might be listening for some reason without the beer in their hand. What kind of flavours does that add to it? Yeah, what, what should people be tasting and experiencing? Yeah, so with, with all the native beers, we, we do our best to, to try and ensure that the native ingredient is the thing that is on show uh, and comes through a lot. And I guess the, the challenging thing about brewing the beer is making sure that happens. And I think um, with the with the native red ale that we've made here, it's it's really complemented the, the native ingredient. So um, those nice, subtle, malty caramel and toffee characters you can get from the malt backbone really lead well with the with the bottle seeds. With bottle seed when it's when it's raw and, and by itself it's quite hard and um, doesn't hold a hell of a lot of flavour. Um, but lightly toasted you get like a nice savoury, um, almost uh, like a hazelnutty um, character. And it, it kind of really melds well with the with the malt backbone that we've got there. So it's yeah it's it's that nutty savory character and it certainly it certainly has that in spades in in the one that i'm drinking right now it's uh you know is that why the focus on the native ingredients and you know were there other ones out there perhaps that you've thought about getting to and you know what would they be oh the the list is endless um this is number seven yeah. of, uh, of, of the native series we've, uh, we've covered a bit of ground so far I actually thought about bringing up the, uh, we did a NAPA, a Native Australian IPA. It was a bit of a New England IPA uh, yeah. style, but but uh, with, with Native Australian fruits instead, using some uh, sunrise lime and yeah, bloodlines. Bloodlines, yeah, it was, it was super interesting and, and really limey if anyone's tried it out there. Quite polarizing that one. Yeah, it was very, very <laughs> different to what you'd expect of a New England IPA, but, but yeah, we've, we've used strawberry gum leaves. Um, Saltbush. Saltbush. Kwandong sandalwood nut. Um, what did you do with the, the strawberry gum leaves? Like, yeah. The strawberry gum stout. Oh, yeah, nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, worked really well. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the strawberry gum, which was the one we did last year, it was also the first native series beer that we ever made as well. Right. Um, and we just, you dry the leaves out um, so they've got pretty much no moisture in them. And we just blended it, blended them to a fine powder and added them into the later stages of oil. So kind of adding them to a stout gave that chocolate strawberry type character. And I guess that's the beer that we, we learned we really needed to carry through the story because the first time we made it, a lot of people thought it had actual strawberries in it and the message was really hard to, to convey. Because um, it was just, called strawberry gum stout. Yeah. They expected like, like a bubble gum like yeah, strawberry right. bubble gum mm. sort yeah. of flavour and translating that that story and that message just through a, a tap decal and um, through venues selling it selling the beer it was it was a bit hard so I guess that's that's the journey we've gone on um, to get to that double label and it is to give a, a good amount of back info about the ingredient and what to expect from it um, and that is the most exciting thing about 
the native series is not quite knowing what to expect. Um, but then the, the learning aspect of it is, is also up there. And are you able to give us a bit of a hint about other ingredients that are sitting out there that maybe even just a bit hard to source or something like that, that you'd like to get your hands on one of these days? I actually got my hands on one right now because <laughs> oh. we're, we're sitting in my youth. Deflated basketball? I've been on... I recently went on a holiday up to Kununurra, which is like far north, east, western Australia. Um, big, big drive, big state, but uh, the, the land is just littered with these beautiful boab trees up there. It's really, you know, a, an important, you know, integral part of, you know, the indigenous culture up there and just the, and the landscape as you drive through it. You, you watch, you know, the flora really changed to these, you know, thousand year old plants being such an important part of it. And they have these big nuts on them. I'm shaking one. Can you hear it? Oh, <laughs> and it's yeah. got like it, it kind of. Uh, they drop these big nuts, and you can uh, you can use the boab nut as as an interesting ingredient. So you know, watch this space. We've been been toying around with some cool ideas there. Yeah, there's some some other ingredients up north. Um, gubbins, which is a little fruit that only grows in the, the northwest WA, and it's got um, the most vitamin C out of every any fruit in the world. Um, so that's one we're hoping to toy around with, um, hopefully in the next couple of years as well. They sound fantastic. I've never heard of using either of those, even the boat is an ingredient in beer before. Definitely. It's got a, it's got a slight, almost like a sour milk character to it, which could play well with beer if you use it properly, for sure. Uh, so Max in our Zoom room just asked a question. Uh, how do you guys go about sourcing and processing native ingredients on such a large scale? Like if something's only found in one part of WA, how's that? Uh, how do you, you work that? that? The, the, the Fervor guys have been such an integral part of that for us. You know, building that relationship with them and their genuine focus on ethically sourcing ingredients. Uh, you know, it's, 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 I mean, Josh, knows a little bit more than me about it. Yeah, it's important that, um, you know, throughout this this whole story that we, we do try and make as much beer as we can out of the ingredient, but there's a lot of instances where we just can't get enough of the ingredient, which is why it tends to be quite limited. Um, and I guess as we move forward, what we want to try and do is make sure that we're giving back and helping with the, the sustainable um, growth of, of using native ingredients and their um, cultivation and making sure that um, from a commercial perspective that the, the stories carried along with the growth of it um, and making them more available um, to many people yeah, uh, including us for beer. I think the first time um, we made the beer with, with uh, Yoda and we only did a, a small batch I think he just about fell over when I told him how much strawberry gum we needed. And I think he just about falls over every time I tell him how much we, we would like. We never quite get the whole amount um, but it's also important we don't just dilute it um, with a heap of beer uh, and just put a label on it. We, we very much want to make sure that the native ingredient is present and is is on show. So if that means making a little bit less, we'll do that. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Now we've got a few questions lining up from people in the uh, Zoom room, and uh, Oliver Warren, I'm going to unmute you. You've uh, we've had a couple of great nerdy questions tonight but i really like yours i'm interested to see whether the guys can answer it or not so hopefully i've just unmuted you 
What's your question, brother? Thank you very much, David Griffiths. Um, I love these cans. But my question is, how on earth did you get it to unwrap like that so that the writing is visible there? I mean, that seems like a, a, an amazing feat of engineering. And the supplementary question from Marcel next to me is, how many times can you stick this back on and rip it off again without, before the stickiness disappears? Uh, depends how dusty your environment is, I suppose. <laughs> the, um, great answer. You wouldn't want to be doing uh, that on Mars. Yeah, it's... it's uh, <laughs> I'd love for us to be able to take credit for uh, for the quality lineup and, and work that's done uh, done by our printers, but really it was just a, a label concept that we came across. We hadn't seen much in the Australian in the Australian market, and we decided to go for it. And all the credit goes to them and how they do it and make sure it lines up every time. I could not tell you. Um, yeah, it's really that's really one for multicolour. The uh, they come out of Brisbane. Yeah, they they come out of Brisbane and then they're printed in. WA, but the actual label itself come out of Brisbane. I'm not 100% sure how they make them, but we actually um, we actually come across those uh, when we were at Asia Beer Fest in Singapore a couple of years ago. And Four Pure had done um, collaborations with four different breweries across the world, and um, they actually had that double label. And uh, we, we kind of saw it and immediately thought, Native Series, this is this is what we need um, to tell the story. They are definitely not cheap. Um, they're definitely quite an expensive label, but um, for us, it, with that series, it's not... It's a premium product. A, yeah, and it's not about how much it costs to tell the story for us. It's uh, important that we did it. Yeah, they're beautiful. Lovely. Yeah. All right, so, the, so it remains a mystery then, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. It's one of those everyday miracles. Good question. I'm going to now mute Oliver before he starts to ask other questions relating to dust-laden environments and move on to, um, <laughs> to James, who's indicated that he's got a question from the Zoom room. Another, as we said before, great reason to be joining us uh, live on a Thursday night in the Zoom room is that you get to ask your questions of the brewers. James, would you like to ask your question, mate? Yeah, I, I just had a question in regards to um, how you work doing collabs, or if you really do. Uh, and, if, and if you do, do you have any requirements as to how you work with another brewer in regards to that collab? Do you, do you have like a fundamental principle that you need to work together on in regards to ideals with the breweries? Well, there's there's a lot of boxes to tick to tick with the uh, with the collab. It's um it is something that gets asked of us very often. Uh, it, and it is, yeah, it, whether it's a, a company that we work very closely with that, that you know, has been a great supporter of ours that we'd really love to support back by, by doing something fun with their staff and something, you know, creative and interesting like a collaboration. Uh, you know, there's also a marketing element to that. Um, you know, it could be a, you know, well-respected uh, other business of any variety um, in an area where, you know, we're trying to get some good exposure. Uh, we could look at it as a marketing exercise like that. Um, or, you know, it, it could be more about marketability of, of a volume of beer. But the, the volume of beer one, we, we don't really tend to go down that road because, you know, we're, we're proud and happy with our core range and not really looking to expand it currently. We'd rather kind of grow that organically by improving itself to us first. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that marketing one we, we don't really do. But there's, I mean, there's a million ways to, to skin the cat with, with collabs. And it's a question that does get asked of us very often. I actually got asked twice today, uh, just, just with some local clients that I have in the Southwest. Um, 
and uh, you know, and you always want to oblige, but realistically, in the capacity that we have currently, and, and the guys work so hard for us to just try and keep up with what we're currently selling, it has to be planned out um, very far in advance. So you know, usually I I, I tend to try and um, not exactly talk people out of it, but but at least give them an idea that it's going to be a way down the track, um, and, and that. You know, it's dance is never no, but but yeah, there's there's a lot of boxes that, that we'd want to tick um, before before thumbs up. Corey in the rooms asked a, a question in passing about teaming up with Ale Farm. I don't know whether you're familiar with the good people of Ale Farm over in Denmark, and he, he points out it's not just the name, but the philosophies behind the beers. Do you know those guys? And no, I actually, I, I um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not fantastic with that stuff, though. I, I, I don't know. I, I, um, I'm sure there'd be uh, several people in our brew crew that'd be all over it, uh, knowing the international brews and stuff a bit better than me. I'm, I'm a bit local focused, especially at the moment. But uh, I mean, they have more of an agricultural focus, sustainable business, making interesting beers over in Denmark. Yeah, we, well, we'd certainly encourage you to go back and listen to the episode of the Cool Room <laughs> where they came on, yeah. discuss their philosophies <laughs> and so forth. Uh, oh, Collabs with, I think it was Nomad at that stage, but yes. I, I think the the brewers had come in that morning from uh, being out foraging pine tips off trees mm. to bit up one of their beers. Um, so oh. they're very much about working with the environment that they're in. Uh, they do all of their own beer label designs and things like that, which are very metal, which appeals, appeals to me. Um, so I agree with Corey's point, just that the overlap of sort of you know, native ingredients and, and natural processes, I think would work really, really well. Well, let's suss it out there. Might have to explore that one for sure. And work trick to Denmark, if you're into that sort of thing. Sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> now, I haven't asked James Barnard whether he would like to ask his question publicly or not, but I'm just going to unmute him and make sure that he does because it's a ripper question and we might make that the last of our questions from the Zoom Room crowd tonight. Uh, James, have I unmuted you successfully? Yes, I have. have. Thanks, David. Um, I was just wondering, I don't know much about Metricup, um, and sorry if I didn't say it right, um, but it, did you find that the local and surrounding communities were really supportive of you guys from day one, or was there a bit of, I guess, pushback um, to get them to try, you know, I guess the beers that you were you're offering when you when you started? I think uh, I think we've had a really, really good good run here. I mean, this is an area where there's I mean there's thirteen craft breweries in this region, just just in this Margaret River region uh, alone. And and it's obviously a wine region. There's a, over hundred and fifty wineries here. It's a it's a real community of people that work in the booze industry and support the booze industry. Most of those local breweries have a menu attached which is really family friendly. It, and you know, we, we, we went down a similar path and it was an easy way to open doors for us and shake hands and make friends. And, and I mean, the, the community here has been incredibly supportive of us. Like I, I actually take care of local sales personally um, down south. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's always good. I, 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 from my perspective, you know, I, I love going, going to my local pub for a beer. And if I'm there supporting their business, then it's likely that, that they'd like to do the same thing, whether that's ordering the beer wholesale or, or coming into our venue. It's just, um, it is a really supportive uh, community down here though. It's, it's really exceptional. It's awesome that there's enough 
I guess, market for, you said 13 breweries in that region. Yeah, yeah huge. Awesome. I think it's actually the most, like, compared to population, um, per capita, it's, it's, it's the most in the country. Um, and, you know, even on an international standard, there's, there's only about 80,000 people that live in this region, um, depending which, you know, larger cities like Bunbury and stuff you include. Uh, and, and, yeah, compared to, compared to population having 13 breweries, but for that many people, it's, it's a lot. But that's why it's such a tourist-driven area as well. Mm. Awesome. I reckon we might wrap things up there, my friends. Or, Travis, were you about to wrap things up? What are you Hi, doing? Knock yourself out. And mind you ask them what their socials are, just to... That's exactly good. Get onto that. Beer farm. <laughs> <laughs> just one word, beer farm, on Instagram and, uh, and on Facebook as well. Oh, I love uh, that. Be the best. What are our ones, Warren Blue? Uh, I think it's the Cool Room podcast for most of them. Uh, yeah, you'll get to us. You'll find us. I hope. Rightio, Travis. Let's wrap things up. But for people in the Zoom room, uh, of course, we can sit around and have a couple more beers in each other's company and talk about the beers that were included in the tasting pack that we haven't discussed formally tonight. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks for having us. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, James. <laughs>